0: Welcome to Ed Leaders, the podcast covering all the interesting ideas about leadership and the business of K-12 education. I'm your host Luke Kelly and joining me each week in the chair is my co-host and colleague Matthew Irving. So without any further ado, let's get to it. Now today Matt, we've got our first segment which is uh, something that I think you found on Medium by Thomas Opping. and it's the four habits of life Long learners. So I thought we'd uh, break them down, have a bit of a chat about them, see what we think. Great. Let's get started. So habit one, successful learners prioritise self-learning. So I guess my question to you on that habit, are your skills, knowledge, or experience more valuable today than they were a year ago? Wow.
1: That's a great question to start our morning off um, and our, this segment of um, talking about um, lifelong learning. And I think uh, if we prioritise self-learning. Uh, I guess self-direction and self-learning and this idea of improving and being better the, the, you know the day after the, you were the day before that sort of thing um, I think it is your knowledge and experience that drives that, that concept of improvement and so if I was to reflect on my own practice I'd hope that I'm better today than I was yesterday I'd hope that um, what I model in terms of my own leadership would indicate that um, I'm about self-improvement um, and then I that my knowledge and my experiences have built towards
0: that, that idea of self-improvement. So I guess let's break that down a little bit further. Um, on a, you know, you said there, a day-to-day basis, you, you know, you're trying to be a better person today than you were yesterday. And I think in general that's everyone. You're trying to be a better person today than yesterday. But in terms of, uh, you know, where you're at in your career journey, like how does that work, you know, on a week-to-week, you know, month-to-month basis, are there specific things that you go looking for? Like, you know, I know that you do a lot of reading, you know, are there other things that you do, you know, like it might be coaching, you know, other areas of, of what you do that you think is that continual self-learning? I think before we sort of start to talk about some of those
1: practical things that you do, um, one of the things that I sort of reflect on um, is that, that concept of stopping, being still, breathing, um, actually spending time on the thinking. And so it might be in the car. I spend 30 minutes in the car every morning and that's actually my time to do my thinking, to do my self-reflection. And often in that reflection, it's about joining the dots. How did one experience lead to the next experience that I had with the person? How does that um, concept um, manifest itself in another conversation? So how do we join those dots? And for me, spending time thinking and reflecting um, is, I think, core to your practice when we talk about that concept of improvement, for me. So I think about how what I did yesterday relates to what I'm doing today, how does one meeting relate to the next meeting uh, and the like. And so for me, it's about developing, I guess, a bit of a through line, what I might call a through line. What are those connections? How do we join those dots? And one of the ways I do that um, and ensure that I'm better um, today than I was yesterday was increasingly join those dots, increasingly join, um, you know, how particular meeting will relate to another one. Um, So I guess that's where I start. Um, And then of course, there's the personal experiences that you have with individual people, and it might be coaching, and it could be being coached myself, it could be finding a mentor, uh, asking me to think in a different way. Um, So I think there are some really practical ways, but I think the first way I think about it as a leader is joining the dots. Um, but I'd be interested in your thoughts about this idea of improvement and self-direction. What does that look like for
0: you? I think for me, uh, like the whole idea of the prioritising of self-learning has developed over time. Um, I think as a, as, you know, as a 20-something-year-old, I think my head wasn't really in it because I don't know if I was in the right career path yet. Um, you know, and I think that you, know, you, you had other f- factors in your life you know like whether it be sport or music or whatever where you spend a lot of your free time thinking about that um and not necessarily on you know the thinking of of what you're talking around it in kind of like joining the dots and kind of connecting what this might do and that might do you know i think more or less when i was younger i think that you know like i was more just worried about what I was going to do the next day for work in a real transactionary sense, not really in a sense of, okay, these are the skills that I want to develop or learn um, over the next year or two. You know, I had like, I remember when I was about 23, having this big kind of mind map chart of all these things I wanted to do in the next 20, 30, 40 years. (laughs) Um, And I've still got it somewhere, but it wasn't really about learning. It was more around experiences Um, And so I don't think that I've really come around to understanding that prioritising around self-learning and probably until the last 10 years. And do you think that's, um,
1: I guess, dressed up in this concept of when we're younger, we still harbour a fair bit of ambition? So there's this sort of trait that's playing out. We're ambitious. You know, we see the world as our oyster. We're going for absolutely everything. But we perhaps don't know how to get there. Um, and then over time that sort of dwindles and we start sort of taking different roads, uh, if you like. Um, but there was this sort of sense of ambition that we could do absolutely everything and we had this view of how we were going to get there and there's this kind of linear ap- approach to developing in terms of our career. Where does that sit, that kind of trait of ambition?
0: Yeah, I think that for me the ambition was really around just, yeah. I guess going back to the experience of things, like I wanted to be X, I wanted to be Y, I wanted to do this, I wanted to do that. I didn't really have at all the idea or the sense that I might have to do you know this many years of doing this as an experience or this or that it wasn't really in my thought pattern so it was really around probably just personal innate ambition and Mm -hmm. you know at at that time it was you know definitely not relational because I didn't care what anyone else wanted yeah it was about me and, and the experiences I wanted to have and if people wanted to share that journey that was kind of Okay, But at the same time, it was like, actually, some of this I want to do by myself. Yep. And so it was really, for me, that was probably more, you know, where I was at a couple of years ago, well, 20 years ago, probably now, um, compared to where I kind of sit and think about things now, which is more around how do I develop, you know, and how do I understand where I'm going to find the time to, to, to make sure that I'm still learning. And also to find those resources where I think I'm, you know, best. The best resources are for me to learn.
1: And it's kind of like this idea that we, you know, we're fairly idealistic when we're young, and and we see that ambition. We don't think we need to serve an apprenticeship. We don't have to serve. Uh, no, definitely not. Experience. I thought I knew it all. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and now perhaps self-learning is actually more finite. It's 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 individual steps to progress, and it's about identifying. Okay, what are, what are some of the gaps or some of the things I want to spend some time on. And it's bit by bit by bit by bit rather than rather than thinking we can do absolutely everything. And certainly when I reflect um, what you're saying also on my own experience, I think there's a lot of mirroring here in terms of seeing the world and I can do this and I can do that and I don't have to serve an apprenticeship, but actually it's through experience I've gained greater knowledge, but more importantly I've gained more knowledge in self-awareness um, and, the, and the things that actually matter and the things that I need to, to slowly work on and that still doesn't mean I'm, you know, I'm not ambitious. Uh, it just means that I probably have a better roadmap to success.
0: Yeah. I think back to, you know, that, that mind map that I was telling you about, and one of those things on there when I was 22, 23 was that I want to do an MBA. And it was kind of like this dream of like, yeah, one day I'll do that. And it wasn't until I actually moved to Perth, you know, 12 years ago now, I was at a friend's place and he had this book and it had, The journey of three guys that have done a Harvard MBA and where they'd taken themselves in their career after that and it was probably like a real catalyst for me in terms of actually I did want to do an MBA and I am interested in continuing my learning journey but it was kind of I guess as I was reaching 30 and it actually became more important to me and you know anyone who's doing postgraduate study will know that you know like you've got to prioritize that shit because mm-hmm. <laughs> that doesn't get done by itself yeah. and, and you're into to your weekends and you're into to your, your nights and you know it's hard but there's a reason why it's hard yeah. you know like they want to weed out people that are not in it for the right reason and I think for me you know that journey of completing my MBA was was paramount to who I am today like the confidence that I you know got from it um and you know where it's taken me since has been you know really really valuable
1: I think it's also interesting to reflect on um whether or not you would have been better to do it at
0: 23 or you, actually it was when you were 30 you were more ready absolutely more ready when I was, as i was 30 like a, as a 23 year old there's no way i would have gotten the value from it that i that i feel like i have now and i think that it's reignited for me that 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 idea that i want to be the lifelong learner and i know that we talk about that in education a lot that we want to instill that in kids and me, it's been really interesting because i don't feel like i thought that for 10 12 years you know you'd still go and do your pd at you know in the workplaces you're working in. i remember being in a job up in brisbane um back in corporate world and going to this pd because my manager thought it was a good idea and i remember sitting there like halfway through the day just yeah <laughs> just like how many times does that happen? not being interested at all but yeah. um you know and for me like when i reflect on those sorts of things it was again just reinforcing that I was just not interested yep. in that career space, that career path and learning at that point in time. But I think even though we're trying to teach kids that now, sometimes you still might not realise it for 10 years after you finished your first university degree in some situations. Absolutely. It's only when you
1: reflect back. And um, and I think what's interesting about the PD, particularly for leaders, um, is that, you know, we, we see something and go, oh, we've got to be part of that. Yep. And we jumped it because it's got the word leadership in it. Um, rather than actually feeling motivated, therefore engaged and therefore getting value out of it and, um, you know, there being some sort of purpose to it. You know, we sort of gather up all these things like a bag of lollies and we think that's going to be the magic pill. Um, Rather, I think what we're reflecting in our article today is actually it's got to come from self Um, rather than that external or extrinsic motivation It really needs to come from that intrinsic uh, and self-awareness and where you want to get to. Um, So it's really interesting and, you know, I think a lot of the times we're talking school leadership and and school professional learning and how seldom does that actually bring value to the organisation. There's a big gap often um, and I can't help think that we're missing um, a trick here. If people aren't motivated, if they're they're not going to engage, if they don't engage, it has very little value. Um, And so I think that idea of being a self-directed learner, we talk about it with our kids. I think we'd, we'd be uh, well advised to spend some time thinking about that for ourselves. Yeah, and
0: I, you know, like and I know that I've mentioned this before, but for me it kind of, you know, the bit that I find fascinating about that, and that's in both corporate and, um, you know, in, in education, is I've never been asked that in an interview. You know, again, like it's a, it's a valuable trait, that ability to be a, you know, a lifelong learner. What, what does that mean for you? Yep. What, does, what does that look like? You know, and I, and I think for me that that's a really interesting part of who we are as people. And if you're a lifelong learner, there's probably nothing, no challenge that you don't feel like you can't actually rise to because you can learn it. Um, you know, so I think that, and I guess the last point I want to touch on here for the priority part around self-learning is, I actually, find it harder now than ever. Mm-hmm. You know, like you know, we were just talking earlier about you know before we got on here about our kids and. You know, the weekend, and, and finding that time, I think, is harder than it's ever been. But ultimately, that's what makes it a little bit more rewarding because you've got to zero in on what it is you really want to put into your brain. Yep. You're
1: not just sort of chasing um, you know, rabbit holes and I've got to do this and I've got to do that. Um, the time that you do cover out is actually quite meaningful. Mm. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more.
0: And I think the thing that I find challenging about that is knowing or finding the good stuff. Yep. And that probably leads us on to our next point, which is that uh, effective learners are voracious readers.
1: Yeah. Look, it's something that I've heard um, a lot of leaders talk about um, to the point that leaders, uh, particularly in schools, carve out time for reading. If you're not reading, you're going backwards. Um, the, this landscape changes so much. Um, so even just for your own, if you're leading, um, having a sense of what's happening you know, in the broader landscape in education, it's really, really important. Um, but I think in terms of that being uh, self-directed, but also um, wanting to, 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 I guess, pursue self-improvement, reading is absolutely essential, um, and more so than ever. Um, not only does it expand your vocabulary, but it expands your worldview. Uh, and in the article we're talking about today, you know, just to looking at someone like uh, Warren Buffett, who spends 80% of his time reading um, in terms of his own work streams um, and only 20% on the work, uh, was fascinating to me. Um, we look at someone who's highly successful and the priority they put on that um, and, and the voraciousness of, of that reading uh, is extraordinary to me. Um, and you know, I think as you, you move through your leadership journey, in some ways your reading becomes more narrow because there's just so much of it. And it gets back to your question, how do you find the good stuff? Um, and I guess that's what we're trying to attempt to do here is well, what is the stuff that's worth reading? Um, but I find that really interesting. And I know for myself, uh, there are times I actually force myself to read because I know I have to be. Um, you know how many magazines, how many publications, how many emails do you get with people throwing stuff at you? Um, and in some ways, it just becomes too overwhelming. Um, but knowing that actually today I've got to spend fifteen minutes, twenty minutes reading, um, so I can just keep a top of things. But also, it's reflecting on actually this is even expanding my own knowledge. It's expanding my own understanding, um, and surely that's a trait of being a self-directed learner.
0: Yeah, and another part of the article um, it talks about Phil Knight, who was a Nike. Nike founder and uh, him talking about how in his library he gets people to take his shoes off, take their shoes off because it's so he reveres his library so much around that knowledge, which I thought was a fascinating part of this article and I'm obviously a big sports nut. So I found that really interesting. Um, But yeah, I mean the same for me, you know, like I next to my bed stand, I've probably got, I reckon at the moment, probably 16, 20 books there. Some haven't been opened yet. Some halfway through some that I read over the last, you know, a few months and, um, you know, magazines as they come and go as well, which I think is really interesting. But one of the things that I read, um, was a quote just recently and it was, it went along the lines of the fact that if you're reading what everyone else is reading, you'll only think what everyone else is thinking. Yeah. And so I found that really fascinating. I probably used my quote too early. Probably should have kept that one in the bank for our <laughs> quote of the week, but, um, you know, for me, that's, I found that really fascinating just to think about the fact that if I'm reading what you're reading and we do share articles a bit, can we think, will we think differently? And the answer is yes and no. Like you're forming an opinion or a view on something which might be at polar opposites. Um, you know, like you, know, you follow American politics and you're, if you're reading Breitbart and we're on opposite ends of the political scale you might have very different opinions on what was written but um there's probably one thing I don't think I'd probably do well enough is enough opposing like articles or stories of opposing views you tend to kind of surround yourself now with social media around things that you're interested in or points of view that you're wanting to hear um and I kind of think that you know that's really interesting for me It's
1: interesting, I I find myself doing the same thing. You're kind of attracted to stuff that you agree with, you know, and then you end up posting it or you end up sharing it, um, you know, and often, you know, I look at them and I'm like, am I just solidifying my ideas? Am I just letting people know that I'm on the right track anyway because I've surrounded myself with like minded people? And I think as leaders, one of the things I've reflected on recently is ensuring that we're expanding our reading Mm. and expanding, um, you know, the, the disciplines in which they come from. So, from the corporate world, the social sciences um you know it might be around sport like we've reflected on um and for educators i think we're drawn to 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 you know creating our own rhetoric and and our own um you know views around education sometimes i think we'd be better off just expanding our view um and actually getting into different disciplines what is medical science telling us about education and how does it apply how does the corporate world apply to to our current circumstance um you know and living in the world we're living in at the moment um and being in in a in an organisation that really is a business, uh, you are got to have a handle on some of this stuff. Um, and there is value there and there are things for us to consider. And, you know, I don't know if I've sat in, a, sat in a leadership meeting in the last six months where we haven't talked about what's happening in the business world, where we haven't reflected on what's happening in our community, um, what's happening in, in the houses of our families. Um, so I think it's incumbent of us to actually spend, expand our reading and not necessarily be drawn to educational stuff that we agree with.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think you're spot on there. And I think that, you know, that, that's really interesting to me, talking about, you know, the management of a school and, and it's, you know, it's morphing more into that business, you know, and that less and less at a leadership level are you talking about the minutia of teaching, which I think is quite fascinating for a, for a business that does education.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think there's, there's a great, uh, I think, challenge for all leaders. Um, to, to expand their worldview by looking at different disciplines. Yeah, and I guess I, guess I go back
0: to that same point. It's just, it's just challenging to find the articles that are and the, and the books and the stories that are, that are adding value to that. Really interesting. All right, uh, habit three. Efficient learners, they maintain to-learn lists. I hadn't heard that word before, to-learn, which I thought was really like, I think I need a to-learn list.
1: Yeah, I, I found that really interesting to sort of reflect on a to-learn list. You know, we're very good at having to-do lists, but to learn just captures, um, you know, your imagination about what do you really want to get after? And I think let's get back to that conversation we had at 23. We felt like we need to learn this, this, and this, and we need to tick these lists, and then that would make us more knowledgeable and we'd have greater understanding, we'd be more employable and, and, and the like. But to just capture that, what's out to-learn to list we talk about this with our kids we talk about okay what are your gaps all Right? how are you going to address them and we sort of break these things down when was the last time we broke that down for ourselves yeah but who's asking us that well that, that's 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 what i'm <laughs> you know we are of. doing that
0: with the kids like we sh- we all well, i think that we do that quite well like why don't we model that we, yeah. we just don't model it yeah.
1: um neither do we model this concept of providing constructive feedback and, and acting on it uh and then having a follow-up conversation so how did that work for you um, we talk about it in terms of performance, but let's let's get back to the to, le- to learn mm. this for a moment. Um, I find that really really challenging because it requires deep thinking, it requires deep reflection, uh, and it's not about saying, well, here are my deficits. It's about looking at that ambition. It's about looking at that intrinsic motivation. What are the things that you want to get after, um, and what's the process of learning that you need to go through, rather than a scattergun kind of approach. Well, I'll do this PD and PD, and hopefully I'll learn something out of it. Uh, this is more purposeful, this is more directive, this is more uh, innate. Um, I found this really challenging and even when I tried to reflect on what are the things I wanted to learn, I was like, oh, okay. Uh, And I think also as leaders, it's very hard to identify your to to learn list when you're in a position that doesn't necessarily lend itself to that. And I reflect on mine, You know, I have a very strong academic and strategy uh, experience and some of the things that I wanna learn is is dealing with more complex, you know, student matters, or dealing with much more complex, um, you know, legal issues and those sorts of things. Well, no s- course for that. No <laughs> course for that. You know, um, you know, yeah. how do, you know. Let's let's have a talk about a course. Yeah. How can I be awesome in off-road conditions? I mean, wouldn't that be an awesome, yeah. awesome course? But where is that? Yeah. Um, so is you to do, to learn this more um, reflective of your own experiences, yeah. or how much of that can you be deliberate about? Um, I found it really challenging. I really like that insight. Yeah, you heard
0: a first here and Head Leaders Special, the off-road course in uh, yeah. <laughs> leadership of education. Let's do it. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess, um, you know, going back to the to, to learn part, I think um, where I wanted to go with that was also just talking about the things that you want to learn because you're interested in them versus the deficits and why mm. you should learn something and and kind of I think as you get older you come to understand where both are again but kind of understanding how much time do you spend on each and like there's some things you know classic case the other day um yeah something came in my mailbox around copyright um and i was like oh that would have float, float, right? <laughs> and i was like you know it's really interesting because part of my role needs me to probably learn more about it but am i interested in it and do you or do i want to attribute the appropriate time for it. Yep. And so I think that's a really interesting thing as you become you know, more into middle, middle management, more into leadership roles around you know, devoting that time to the things that you're really interested in versus the things that you probably need to learn. Yeah.
1: And I found myself uh, very reflective of your copyright moment last week uh, around risk and governance and the latest um, sort of standards around that. Um, and because I do, you know, sort of policy work, it's really important that I'm actually over that stuff. Does it float my boat? No. Um, but is it important in schools? Absolutely. And it's important that, that I get on top of that. But I don't have that intrinsic motivation to get on top of that and want to be the guru. Um, but there's a level of understanding I must have. Um, and getting back to something else you said, you know, it's, some of this is, is, is deeply personal and actually may have nothing to do with school um, and, and leadership. And I think about me, my, You know, some of my own personal pursuits in terms of reading is around politics and it's around you know, um, ecclesiastical sort of history and church history and um, family history and the like. I could spend hours doing that because I'm so motivated to do mm. that versus some of the stuff that we need to, you know, those kind of compliant mm. um, learnings that we, we must do as part of our roles. So I think there's an interesting balance there. Um, yeah, that,
0: that exploring your passion kind of, yeah. you know, side of you to learn
1: yeah so look i found that really challenging that the to, to learn list um, and i think there was there's something in it for, for all of us to go away and think about um, it's not a to do list to to learn list uh i think really starts to capture our imagination and start to
0: capture um the you know the motivation piece that we've been talking about today yeah, it just gets away from that transactional yeah that day-to-day stuff so i want to issue both of us a challenge Come back next week with our two learn lists. Fantastic. All right. See how we I'm writing it that. down now. All right. That brings us to our fourth habit, that lifelong learners test their understanding.
1: Yeah, look, this one really rang um, true to me. Um, you know, and it's something that, you know, I spend so much time developing ideas and strategy and, and things, but it's only as good as my own brain. Um, and then finding people that agree with me, well, that's limiting as well. And I think for me, this part of, uh, of our article is really saying, all right, You've got a level of understanding. You've got a level of, of knowledge, and you have a level of idea. It's actually incumbent of you to go and share that, and test it. Um, get you know get people in the room that are not necessarily going to agree with you. Um, really, really shake it out and and and, and play with that idea. Um, ensure that that idea gets refined and gets better. Don't act as if you're you know in a vacuum, and you know you go go to you know your line manager or you know your council and say I've got this brilliant idea. Um, I think we need to road test those things before we get to that point. Um, And when you road test, you get a better idea. And for me, my experience has been those things always land better because you've done your homework. You've prototyped an idea, you've played around with it for a fair while. Uh, And sometimes that experience takes a little while. And sometimes I think for leaders, we just get impatient. We've got this great idea, we wanna share it with everyone and we're gonna implement it tomorrow. Actually, we should have implemented it yesterday. Um, but sometimes I think there's, there's a benefit here of going slow, um, testing your ideas with a range of people, knowing that you don't act in a uh, a vacuum and ensuring that the views that you're getting, um, don't necessarily align or agree with your own.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, I'd agree with that. And I think that you, you run the risk of, you know, idea overload when you, when you kind of just new idea after new idea after new idea. I think sometimes it is incumbent on yourself and, and as you learn, to, to kind of control that urge with your ideas I think is around okay great idea just gonna write this down let's come back to it in, in a couple of days or two I know I do this all the time because I have all these like amazing business ideas <laughs> and then I come back a week later and I'm like what was I thinking yep. um, but I do I, I definitely take your point and one thing I definitely have felt particularly probably in, in my current role more so than I've had in others is that Ability to start with something, and then you've got a team of two or three or four good minds around you that you can workshop things with, like explore, question, and the product always ends up better. Absolutely, you know. And I don't think I've necessarily felt that before. And maybe that was a you know, an arrogance thing or something as I was younger, like you know what you were talking about before around feeling like I got this. But actually, if you get the right people in the room around you to question with the right questions something can be infinitely better than what you originally started with.
1: Yeah, and I like that idea of having a book of ideas. You know, when you're, you're thinking so rapidly that you capture those things and then think, okay, which is the one that's most feasible? Which is the one that's going to leverage... Usually this, for me, it's none of them. <laughs> leverage the strengths of yeah. the organisation. But, but for me, and I, I really challenge myself on this, is which is the one that's going to have the greatest impact? That's the one I want to go test. Um, and the other thing that I've learned uh, acutely is that with so many ideas some people aren't going to be with you (laughs) Um, and so as I said before timing is 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 something you need to consider and these things take time to develop but when you land your idea is just as important and there are times in the life cycle of a school um, we've talked about this before don't land a new idea, <laughs> it ain't gonna go so well. Yeah. If it's week eight of term four, <laughs> uh, good luck to you. Um, and <laughs> that's, so- That's like career suicide right yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. So I think I've learned better as a leader to to know when to land something, to know what my window is. And some people say to me, um, you know, Matt, when, when do you land most of your, your sort of ideas or your strategy, etc.? cetera? Uh, term one and maybe the beginning of term two is gold for me and, and I need to be thinking 12 months ahead Uh, in terms of the things that we want to get after. And if I haven't landed them, if I haven't planted the seed in that period of time, uh, things get away from you in schools um, and the less likely a a big idea that's going to require some level of change um, is going to be successful. Um, So I think that the timeliness is something that I've learnt uh, a lot about and, and spending time though on that ideation the design thinking process that really needs to go into something. So when you do land it, it it really hits the mark. You've got council on board. You've got the other leaders around you on board. Um, So I think I feel feel like I've learnt a lot uh,
0: about this concept of really testing your ideas. And I just, you know, to add to that, I think the one thing I've seen play out, particularly where we are now, is around planting that seed and giving staff plenty of time for that to kind of germinate within um that it's not we're going to make this change and the change starts tomorrow it's you know incremental it's on the horizon everyone's aware that it's coming I said it before but do what we say we're going to do yep
1: absolutely and i think we potentially we've got another episode coming here around change management um so i'm sure that that will um sort of segue into it to another episode that we do around in managing change
0: yeah absolutely And i think just going back to the to the habit i think you know, testing, testing, understanding. I think for me, the other interesting part of this is, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts uh, as well, going to and from work. But I think it's really interesting for me because like, I love taking a concept that I'm hearing about, you know, in startup world or in sport or in, you know, other areas of business and kind of going, how could we tweak that and use it for our marketing in an educational setting? Or how could we use it in terms of risk or compliant or a new program that we're doing? So so for me, it's really always trying to test what I'm hearing about things that are happening in other parts of the world. And I do this predominantly on podcasts and driving because I have time. Um, But how how it can then get applied to other areas of of what we do. I think coming from
1: a corporate world like you have, um, I think there is a natural disposition to be able to do that. Um, because you've lived that world and now you're living an education world mm. um, and joining those dots for us. And I think that's a, that's a really interesting skill set based upon your experience that brings value. Um, so, yeah, I think we, we could all learn something from that. Mm.
0: All right, that takes us... Uh, that's the end of uh, our four habits of, uh, of successful uh, learners or lifelong learners. Uh, so I want to get on our leadership segment. I know that we're uh, running a little short on time, but let's... Uh, let's kind of get through this a little bit and because I think it's a really interesting article. And that really this week is really, I guess it's a, well, a story on Eton College and that's the leadership that they're providing as a college, not really one individual here, but what they're really doing as a college to be leaders uh, in their community, but also, I guess, in the wider community in terms of uh, the UK. And just to kind of recap that for our listeners, uh, the article kind of explored that Uh, Eton have announced that they're going to spend £100 million on four key initiatives over the next five years, and I'll just run through those quickly and uh, maybe we can kind of chat about each one. Uh, They're going to spend more on financial aid to enable more pupils from uh, vulnerable and disadvantaged backgrounds to attend Eton. They're going to extend their digital platform, EtonX, to develop new courses, uh, many of which will be permanently available to the state sector for free. Uh, they're going to develop a national network of partner schools and youth clubs, particularly in socially disadvantaged areas, delivering uh, Eton uh, virtual curriculum. Uh, and they're going to work with government to set up new selective sixth form partnering uh, with other outstanding educational providers um, to aid in social mobility out in locations outside London and after the COVID experience. Now, I thought this is a really interesting uh, space for... Uh, you know, 100, 200 year old organisation, and one with the the brand recognition of Eton to uh, to move into this space in in this crisis. What do you think, Matt?
1: Well, I'd love to be a fly on the wall uh, when they were developing these um, strategies and, and different projects, because I guess it's that that sense of where where is this coming from, is a thing that I guess it, it's worth exploring. And I think, it no doubt, one of the things that we've we've noticed even in this country um, is the equity issue um where we've had you know large um, you know independent schools and catholic schools go um, you know go out uh, to their communities with remote online learning and video conferencing and the like huge amount of infrastructure ready to deliver um, uh, i guess a, a reimagined way of educating our students whereas we perhaps have had other systems and other sectors and you know, I point to you know, some of our public schools haven't necessarily had that infrastructure to be able to do that. And certainly those students that from disadvantaged areas, you know, we, internet accessibility, connectivity, having the hardware at home, I think there's a, there's a spot here around equity, I think that's come to the fore and we've certainly noticed it in this country, um, but I can't help think that that's something that's at the forefront of some people's minds uh, in the UK. I think coupled with that um, is that sense of social responsibility that as, an, as, a, as a school, we are well off, um, we, we're well financed, um, we've, we've got extra resources. What is our social responsibility as we look out? Um, and, and that's aligned to our values. It's aligned to often our, our church traditions that we are there to look after more vulnerable people. So I think there's a lens there for me around equity uh, and social responsibility before we get any further into, into um, other motivations. But I guess that was my first thought when reading through this. I'd be interested in what your thoughts were when you first read that article. Yeah, for me,
0: I kind of, you know, the first thoughts were really around, this is inspiring because, you know, not only are they worried about their own community um, and and taking a lens on how we're gonna manage ourselves and our students in this crisis, but let's take a step back and go, what can we do on the national stage that's gonna be good, that, you know, we can leverage what we have And the assets we have and and not really having that narrow view into just protecting our community and i thought that was really interesting for me like how do you take that at a time like they were going through and the uk is still suffering quite badly at the moment but how do you kind of zoom back out to go okay it's not just about this little sphere it's actually about the much wider greater sphere and for the listeners i'm making a really big circle (laughs) shape with my hands when i'm doing that um, so that was probably the first thought, like, you know, kudos to them in terms of being able to step back and go, what can we do beyond just managing ourselves? Um, and secondly, I, you know, take your point about the, the corporate social responsibility. It's a really interesting space because obviously big publicly listed companies have been a growing arm of their business a lot of, for a lot of them over the last probably 10 to 15 years, um, but not so much in schools like yes in a way we do volunteer work and we do fundraising for local communities and charities and things like that but wouldn't necessarily say that that's the same as a the the, cor- the corporate social responsibility that a woodside or a bhp or those types of companies have been investing philanthropically in the community in various you know you know whether it be fun runs or whether it be other charities or things like that which I think is quite interesting for me for a school to start playing in that space
1: yeah it's kind of beyond just those traditional notions of service learning and getting out with the community connecting what Eden are talking about is far bigger than Mm. that uh, far more reaching that into specific communities but also at a national level for me um, was quite interesting Um, and I guess that's the kind of there's a a piece in here that I wanted to explore with you there's, there's a, a part in this for me that, you know, if I was to take a cynical view, would be that they're driving around their own brand, they're driving at future enrolments, they're driving at um, being sort of the number one school, look at us, um, and, and, and to a degree, maybe grandstanding. So I guess a, a really cynical view would flip that notion of equity and social responsibility and for the greater good and look at it more from I guess that competitive business lens um,
0: and that corporate lens. Be interested in your views on that. Absolutely. Like if we were if we were competing against them, uh, and we were down the road, I'd be like, <coughs>
1: yeah, they got one up on us.
0: Yeah, you know. And I think that you know that that view of you know this is, and the way it was written it was very cleverly done. That it really dressed it up as a, a play on, we're here to help, mm. uh, and we are thinking about the broader community, and. The flip side of that is exactly what you're saying, which is you know, more financial aid means maybe they might be getting less enrolments and they're shoring up enrollments. So you could look at it from that lens. Um, you know, so things like that can be kind of construed both ways, and I and I do think from a from a brand point of view, it's really is just um you know, it just strengthens the brand, yeah, you know, substantially. I mean, I don't think I think I've only heard of one school um, in Australia that's kind of played a little bit in this space um, over on the east coast, um, but the brand, you know, is so strong and just reinforces their brand values and the strength of it and right. the yep. association with it, and the you know the the old scholars that you know the alumni that are from Eton just feeling a part of something that's great and you know so I think it's it's a it's a really interesting. Um, you know 25 million pounds a year 20 million pounds a year of five years like each year you know substantial dollars but not not heaps you know in the whole scheme of probably their revenue on a yearly basis um but yeah certainly a lot of brand value that's been generated from from this announcement so there's
1: like a fine line here you know there's there's the one around wanting to 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 i guess act in the greater good of of you know students nationally and you know deal with equity uh, equity and disadvantage versus strengthening their own brand um and you know strengthening up um what they're about but also that that i guess projection of their own values and so there's this fine line and i think the way this is written is, is very clever because it plays on both um and i just sort of reflecting what's happened here in perth where we are um, you know there's there's programs that i know that we've run just quietly under the radar We have a very strong view of sort of word and deed and we do things quietly and we've been, you know, working with vulnerable people and we've been providing pastoral care and meals and those sort of things, but we haven't done anything about sort of capitalising on our brand and pushing that out and making that public and, you know, getting media releases and the like. Whereas I've seen other schools do that where they're sort of there's been an element of grandstanding look at us we're the ones that are looking after the sort of vulnerable people in the community and you know you should get on board and it's you know it's representative of our values of being global leaders and global citizens and it's got that it's it's got that smell about you know grandstanding and being more about their brand rather than actually goodwill um, so I, I guess I've seen both sides but I look at this Eaton one and they there's a fine line there but I think they're playing it both and I think you know when we read this uh, article i think they've they've really hit that well they've really hit the mark in terms of balancing both their corporate but also their social responsibility
0: yeah i think you know for me um you know i think it's just a win-win mm. you know students are going to win uh people from disadvantaged backgrounds going to win hopefully um you know the national broader picture is going to win uh and eaton's going to win you know that like the clever part about this is there's really not really any losers yep. potentially apart from some of the competitors which maybe didn't get the brand exposure yep. or haven't moved quickly enough in the space.
1: So really a, a very well thought out strategy um, and, and as I said when we started talking about this I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall as that, those board of governors um, and, and the leadership team were discussing this. Um, there's a lot of thinking that's gone into that. Yeah, and, and
0: I guess it's an, it would be interesting to know whether that's come from the leadership within the school or whether that's come from the executive council leadership um, and whether there was any, you know, um, you know, whether they are all on the same page yeah. or, or not would have been fascinating to know.
1: Yeah, fantastic. All
0: right. Uh, interesting observation of the week, Matt. We'll uh, keep this quick. Um, but I read an article uh, about uh, here in Australia a couple of weeks ago that... Uh, Compass Online were saying that um, with 2 million users in their system and 1,800 schools, that the absentee rate was about 4.8%, which is about half the normal rate. Uh, And just wanted to explore that a little, because I thought that was quite fascinating that we would see, um, of course it makes sense in a way, um, that people are at home, but more people, uh, more kids engaged in an online product um, when they're at school
1: so yeah I, I, I was a great observation it was an observation that i also was sort of reflecting on over the week that's been um we certainly have seen it here where not only sort of compass are reporting that across their 1800 schools or whatever they work with but um looking at our own school and our um our attendance rate online was far higher um fascinating to me and and kind of unpacking that i think i've i mean i guess it's my own obs- observations really but um I think there's something to be said about choice. Students didn't uh, don't necessarily have the choice to come to school. You know, parents drop them off, and we're off to school today. And and but when we went to this online environment, they had a choice to to log in at at eight thirty. They had a choice to move to their next uh, subject and the like. And I can't help think that giving that empowering our students um, to be self directed, to be independent, had something to do with it. Um, I've got nothing to qualify that with but I've got this sense that 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 happened. And and I guess how I qualify it to a degree is what I've seen when they've come back to school, where there's a greater level of engagement and motivation and self-direction. So I can't help think by giving choice and empowering our kids, we've seen greater engagement. I think the the second thing for me is many of our kids have reported their preference for learning and that they've actually enjoyed learning online. It's a preference of theirs. Um, And some of them have pointed to the fact that teachers talk less that they give them 10, 15 minutes of instruction, they can get on with their work. And in terms of their own learning um, preferences, it's actually matched um, how they like to learn, which I think is really, really interesting. Um, no doubt, you know, if and I was cynical again, we've been cynical a bit today, um, there's always that novelty uh, aspect. Um, and uh, probably the last thing for me would be that, even if you're not feeling great, even if you're feeling slightly unwell or you're, you know, you're feeling a bit down and, you, and it might be easier not to come to school, um, your laptop's there. You're in your home. There's a level of comfort. And I can't help think you're more likely to, to engage in learning um, in that environment than potentially coming to school. Um, so maybe that would be the you know, sort of three or four things that I would point to um, as potential uh, arguments for why we've seen this increase uh, in attendance.
0: Yeah, I guess, um, you know, the cynical part of me to start with that part would be saying that, well, they didn't really have a lot of choice. They couldn't go anywhere. Uh, you know, they couldn't they couldn't go and socialise with their friends. The malls were closed. The, you know, the movies were shut. Um, skate parks were shut. You know, stadiums were shut. Basketball, football. Couldn't go outside. Um, so there wasn't a lot else for them to do. Um, sure, yeah. So that would be my cynical uh, starting point. Um, you know, but for me, I kind of think that... Um, where, when I started reading this, I had a couple of thoughts, and one was around what can leadership learn from this. And for me, it kind of adds to your point there around, um, you know, that blended approach for students, you know, like does it work better for some students to be able to learn in that kind of format? You know, anecdotally, you know, I talk, you know, heard from a lot of students that they actually like the ability to ask a question to a teacher at any point during the lesson and not have it audibly heard by the rest of the class. They didn't feel like they were going to be asking the Again, for the listeners, I've got my inverted commas up, um, but didn't feel like they were going to be asking the silly question because they could ask any time, and no one else could see the question. And there's
1: a level of safety around that.
0: And there was a level of safety around it, and they could work in their own time. Um, so I kind of thought that that was quite quite interesting, and I wonder whether you know whether schools can use what we've learned and kind of go, okay, some kids will engage better with this format of learning. Can we somehow offer the blended approach? Can we offer the best of both worlds to, to students? How would that look like? Or will it be a case of once everyone's back, will everything just be swept under the rug and gone? Yeah, you know, that was a nice experience for a few weeks. We know you liked it, but it's too hard for us to do because it's not our normal standard business model.
1: Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And as we talk with leaders at the moment, it's, it's you know what are the things we're gonna hold on to from that experience? What are the things that we can let go? because we realise they haven't added much value. Um, and I think the online experience has added value and we've collected some data from our students around that. And, and some of the, the analysis of that's been quite interesting. One, you know, 17% of our, our students have indicated their learning progression has increased by being online. I find that
0: fascinating. I don't think you can ignore that. I think what's interesting with that though, is that most of the rhetoric from leadership and people are, kids learn better when they're at school. Yeah. Like, but what, what evidence are we pointing at to? That's right. It's oh, it. we know this. But well, where's our evidence for that? I think if you were
1: to flip that, and if it wasn't about students, and if it was about teaching, <laughs> you know, I think the, the the quality of teaching potentially is a lot better face-to-face because it's nuanced and you can, you know, capture and, and address different though, body languages. That's teaching, very different the about the student. And yeah. I think, um, you know, we need to kind of shift our lens there. I, think the I other just thing want to ask you one thing yeah, about sure. that as well.
0: When we ask students what they miss, what do they say they miss? Their mates. It's about the social aspect of school. Absolutely. And I think that's really interesting as well because it's not about the learning for them. It's about their mates, their friends, their socialising. That aspect of school life is really important to them.
1: Absolutely. And do we
0: undervalue that a little bit as a, you know, an education provider that we think that teaching is the main thing that we're here for Uh, actually it's the growth of the student and the social aspect of being around 150 other kids or 100 kids or 300 kids of their age but more importantly their friendship circle of 10 or 20 people that's really important to them growing up absolutely
1: and I think then the next bit is that the power of peer-to-peer learning Um, and what what was interesting to me sort of in our in our research was looking at our students particularly our senior ones, where they felt they weren't getting the collaboration they wanted, the connection they wanted. So they just went and found a whole lot of apps that allowed them to do that. So while online learning and video conferencing was going on, in the background, they were running a whole lot of apps to stay connected. They were really searching for that. Um, And we've certainly seen them as students have come back to school, them just sort of gravitate to each other. But even looking at some of our our support programs and walking around the school, the level of peer-to-peer learning going on, I think, has increased, which is fascinating. I think the other thing um, that's interesting um, as we think about um, the, the experience for leaders is we've added layers and layers of new pastoral care while students were away. So we had a Family Connect program and we had phone calls to parents, and, and, and so I think there was value in that uh, experience. And certainly our students reported the, the fact that they'd been more connected to their mentors or their tutors than ever before. Um, it was it was absolutely outstanding. And so, if we were to reflect on our question, what are the things that we're going to hold on to that are really important coming back to school? It's got to be that social dimension. It's got to be those relationships that we talk about uh, as as the foundation, the bedrock, if you like, for good learning.
0: Yeah, I think I read an article, and maybe come back to this in a future episode around just parents' involvement in 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 learning, and how that skyrocketed, yep. uh, or or is for those that are still in an online learning environment. That, that parent involvement, actually, they became partners in the education process, you know, infinitely more so from PK to six, probably than seven to 12. But as parents, and, you know, as, as partners of, in the education process, you know, how much do we normally let them in? And how visible is it normally for yeah. them, which is very different, um, you know, in an online setting compared to the day to day setting when their kids are at school.
1: Uh, And uh, we've had so many, you know, communication from parents on that, um, and and they come in two um, two, sort of two different themes. One is, uh, oh, my goodness, you're delivering such amazing, uh, amazing stuff online, and I didn't realise my child was receiving this level of teaching and and how um, thankful they are. And then the other thing that comes through is, oh, my God, I can't believe that you have to deal with that. <laughs> and, and that appreciation for what teachers do, I think, during this time uh, has increased sort of tenfold. Where they've just gone, oh, my goodness, how much patience do teachers have? How much resilience do they have um, whilst dealing with just the range of complexity of, of kids working online? And only imagining what that must look like and feel like in a classroom has um, been fascinating to me.
0: Uh, and just to close this little segment out, I've got one last little point on, uh, on this observation. Uh, what are your thoughts on, uh, on this company using uh, the aggregation of 1,800 schools data?
1: Well, I, I find that really interesting. Um, there's How probably, would you feel if it was uh, our data? Well, I, I would have hoped that um, there would have been some deed um, of release on that, and we mm. would have been asked um, whether or not our data could be used for those purposes. Mm. Um, yeah, clearly, it's a marketing uh, piece, um, and obviously, we've looked at it in a different guise today, where we've been really trying to look at uh, what, what those numbers are actually telling us. Um, but I would have hoped that those schools had agreed um, to, uh, to having that kind of, uh, those kind of numbers um, published. Mm. Mm. I just thought that was
0: quite interesting. Anyway, uh, close out the show, Matt, uh, quote of the week. I think you've got something for us this week. Well, the quote of the week, I guess, comes very closely to what we've been talking
1: about um, in terms of the... know what are the things we're going to hold on to what are the things that we're going to let go and i wanted to go just back to a sort of a bit of a cliche um, quote now but einstein quote in the middle of difficulty lies opportunity Um, and now is a great opportunity to reflect on what the last eight to ten weeks have been uh, for for educators more broadly and for leaders Um, and what are the things those lessons learned what are those things that have surprised us what are those things that have added value uh, as we go forward um, this is a great opportunity um, to, to reimagine and reflect, um, and uh, I'd be uh, very hopeful that our leaders are spending some time right now uh, looking at what those opportunities might be going forward.
0: Yeah, and I think on a broader scale, I mean, I was listening to a podcast just recently, and it was exploring uh, the number of billion-dollar companies that came out of the GFC. And for me, it will be interesting to see what emerges in terms of you know corporate corporate landscape. Uh, beyond education in terms of the next kind of you know, 10 years and, and what really like those little companies that start because someone's lost their job or you know, those sorts of things ha- are happening to people and what rises um, through those difficulties. It'd be quite and, intriguing to, yeah. to look at that. So that brings to an end our show for today. I hope you've enjoyed our little chat uh, on various topics, mostly around uh, lifelong learning. Remember, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show and please don't forget to share the love and tell a few of your colleagues... If you listen to a great new podcast called Ed Leaders, you can sign up to our weekly newsletter by heading over to edleaders.com.au. And thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next week. See you next time. Go well.